What about the softer skills around communication, leadership, delegation, teamwork, uh, effective decision-making? Those are the kind of, I would call them competencies more than skills. This is the Job Stories Podcast, how people find work that matters. Again, I'm Mason. This is my brother, Matthew, and this is the Job Stories Podcast, just to kind of fill you in. Our goal um, with our podcast is just to celebrate the stories for the guests that we have out, we have on. So that's what we're going to do today. We just want to talk to you about your story, about your career path, and um, what you're doing now and everything that got you to today. So what I'll have you do, if you don't mind, Matthew, did you have anything? Yeah. Hey, Eric. Um, I was going to say, we usually end the podcast with like a way to connect with our guest. So be thinking about um, how you would want the listeners of the podcast to connect with you um, after the episode is released. Okay, cool. And who's your audience and uh, what are you hoping to achieve? Yeah. So our audience is candidates. So anybody that um, is looking for an IT furthering their career job or maybe changing from like in my story I changed from teaching to IT um so any candidates um in the IT healthcare world and we're located in Nashville so um any IT healthcare candidates in Nashville mm-hmm. okay great yeah. and truthfully there's an entrepreneurial kind of aspect that we're finding too in a lot of the conversations we're having so maybe even there's some folks out there looking to start a business like we have definitely that that could take from CEOs such as yourself. Um, so there's that aspect as well. Um, so whenever you're ready, if you don't mind, we'll just kind of jump right in. Just if you don't mind to introduce yourself and then kind of talk about what you're doing now, what's your job position you have now and what kind of got you there. Um, if that's okay with you. Yep. Uh, hello, my name is Eric Parmander. I'm the CEO of Ensemble Inc. And Ensemble is a software company, uh, a healthcare tech software company. And we are focused on uh, the hospital market and in particular nurses. So we help nurses improve their competencies, their compliance, their career development, all through uh, software. And um, so that's basically who I am. Mm. Awesome. Um, do you mind to kind of get us to, how'd you get there? How'd you get to what, what, how did Ensemble come about? Like what's, what's kind of some of your career path? What's, what's kind of led you to today? Certainly. So I've been in uh, business now for over 30 years. Uh, I've mostly been on the consulting side with some large international consulting firms uh, in the healthcare benefit space and um, had an opportunity to join a company in 2011 that ended up going public um, uh, called Evolent Health um, in uh, focusing on hospitals, tech-enabled care management. Mm-hmm. Worked for a company in San Francisco called Collective Health, which is doing some really disruptive things in the healthcare employer-sponsored healthcare space. And then um, made my way eventually to Ensemble, which is a Nashville-based software company. Um, Ensemble's been around 14 years. Uh, They were founded as the nurse company as a consulting firm, eventually became a software company, changed the name to Ensemble, and started working with um, hospitals around the country 
again, focused on helping nurses improve their skills. Um, so what are some of the skills that are kind of y'all are working through improving with nurses? Has any of them changed in the last, you know, 18 months? I mean, I know in the hospital and skilled nursing communities, there's been so much change. I mean, since COVID, I mean, what's kind of, what are y'all seeing on y'all's end in, in dealing with, um, new skills needing to be learned for nurses and CNAs and things like that? What's, what are y'all seeing in the last 18 months? Well, it's been fascinating because COVID has changed everything, right? Uh, you could say that in many aspects, but it's changed the, the profession of nursing perhaps more than anything mm. because the nurses are on the front lines fighting this battle. And because of this, a lot of nurses have left the profession. Um, the turnover rate among nurses is very high right now. The mm -hmm. vacancy rate at hospitals for nurses is very high. Mm -hmm. uh, this is leading, leading to hospitals inability to staff right. the beds that they need to serve the patients. And so one of the things that we found out from a skill perspective is, you know, it's one thing to know how to do a medical procedure and most nurses have training in, you know, how to administer an IV or how to, you know, take the vital signs of a patient or how to insert a catheter. I mean, you have to know how to do those things they are very specific, mm -hmm. but what about the softer skills around communication leadership, delegation, teamwork, uh, effective decision-making. Those are the kind of, I would call them competencies more than skills because it's a broader, more psychological aspect of cognitive behavioral uh, skill. And having the right competencies will help them weather some of these storms, help them survive some of these headwinds not without stress, not without challenge, but in a better, more, um, uh, less stressful way than if they, they didn't have those softer skills. Mm. That's interesting. That actually makes sense because there is such like, let's say in a hospital so much, or a, a skilled nursing facility or whatever, there's just so much more turnover that being a team player probably is more valuable right now because you're seeing different team members, right? Right. Um, throughout a week or a month or whatever, more than they maybe have in the past. That's actually, I have not thought about that, but that's really interesting. Like being a team player is probably a, a, a skill that you, you have to have. I mean, it seems like a no brainer, but you gotta have it, especially right now. That's for sure. Yeah. That's cool. Eric. And adding on to that is, so I'm sure the, software i don't know that um the software's had to kind of pivot um as well that you provide to those nurses is that my kind of guessing at that correctly or um what would you say about how the software you provide has had to fit with the new world we live in well it's a fascinating question and if you think about hospitals and employees who work in hospitals, they're using all kinds of technology and all kinds of software from medical devices to their electronic medical record system to other types of programs designed to manage their human resource function or their learning management system, their enterprise resource planning system, et cetera. And I think if you talk to a nurse and a doctor, they'll tell you they're spending too much time 
doing computer work now. They used to say spending too much time doing paperwork. <laughs> right, right, right. Now they're spending too much time doing computer work. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the question then is now, how can we optimize these various platforms, technologies, software as a service um, components so that they're more integrated? Uh, we call this interoperability, fancy word. That's where the medical devices work together with the EMR that works together with the ERP that works together with the HRAS that works together with the LMS. Those are acronyms that all stand for various, you know, uh, software platforms, but the more integrated, the less time and the more accurate uh, the, the outcome, less time of input, more accurate output. So I think now the new challenge is not so much getting everyone onto a system, but now getting all the different systems to talk with each other and play nice in the sandbox. Um, this may be more of a entre entrepreneurial question, but I'm curious because you're the CEO of a really cool healthcare company in a really cool city here in Nashville. And um, the 20 year old me would have been like, gosh, that's really awesome. But um, not sure I could ever get there one day. So what would your advice be to somebody like the 20 year old me that's kind of just starting out maybe in college or just getting out of college? Um, and maybe there's that, that dream of being a CEO one day. How do I get there? What's, what's some advice that's, that you might could give things that you look back on your career path and say, yeah, that was kind of a pivotal decision I made, or that was, that helped me. Maybe I got a mentor. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that a little bit? I'm curious on, on what you might say to that, that type of person. Well, I'm a big believer in education. Mm -hmm. Certainly, I, I have my MBA. Um, that has probably been the most valuable um, investment that I've made in myself is to, uh, to get an MBA and to understand the language of business. Um, I'm working on my PhD in business psychology. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, education and higher education isn't always the answer but it can be an important component. I think there's no better uh, experience than having on the job experience working in, let's say you're interested in the field of healthcare. Uh, maybe you do wanna be an entrepreneur and have your own company someday or be a CEO. Find a healthcare company that you really like. Uh, try to get in there even at the ground floor. Mm. Uh, get to know the business and ultimately become a problem solver because there's nothing about growing a company that isn't about solving somebody's problem. Mm. You know, sales is about problem solving. Um, new companies that enter a space with a new product or a service will succeed if they're legitimately solving a real life problem. And so give a lot of thought to Maybe as you experience frustration in a certain industry or with a certain product, like what could work better than this, you know, mm -hmm. and then come up with some ideas that how can I solve this problem, start to talk to other people, get input from a vast array of friends and colleagues, network, get out there, mm -hmm. um, connect to people, uh, ask questions, be a lifelong learner, be curious 
uh, and figure out what problems in the world need to be solved. And what do you have that's unique about your talent that can help you solve it? Mm, that's good. Eric, could you um, tell me who you wrote your book for? Is that, um, did you write it for nurses? Did you write it for employees? Did you mm. write it for um, the younger you as the last question was presented? Well, who did you write that? Um, who'd you write your book for? Well, thank you. Uh, so my book is named Stop, 21 Stops to Reduce Stress and Enhance Joy. And while it could be written for anybody, I think the target audience was the healthcare worker, mm -hmm. uh, stressed out nurse, the, the overwhelmed doctor, uh, the medical student that's working 15 hours a day, um, and they're stressed. So the title of the book, Reduce Stress, Enhance Joy, subtitle, it's about what to stop doing in your life that can create space, margin, freedom to have more joy, less stress. Mm -hmm. And so my book was really, it could be applied to anybody, but it was really focused on kind of that frontline healthcare worker. Mm. I, I had a mentor, still my mentor. Um, <clears throat> and he said this one thing, and he's a very country guy from Texas. Yeah. And he said, why are you in a rush? <laughs> and I, I think it um, kind of applies to kind of the premise of your book. Have mm. you, um, have you cut out some things from your life um, in regards to stopping stress and reducing joy or um, yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. It's, it's really all about um, cutting out things from your life. You know, when you think about the stuff we do every day, how much of it is really productive? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to answer. <laughs> <laughs> Not very much. Sometimes yeah. I'm afraid to ask that question yeah. of myself, right? But, sure. you know, hey, I've cut out drinking as an example. I don't mm. drink anymore. Mm. Um, I'm not passing judgment on anyone who does, but mm. I found that for me, that was an unproductive use of time, money, and my brain power. Mm. Um, I have stopped... Um, uh, multitasking. Hmm. And by the way, that is a hard thing to do when you have 15 screens open and, yeah. you know, um, your iPhone, your laptop, <laughs> the TV is on, right. Hmm. And you have your Apple watch and you have all this distraction in front of you. You go from ping to ping, to ping, to ping, to ping. And every time you hear a little ping, a little endorphin goes off in your brain and it's like, Ooh, somebody wants me. <laughs> I'm important. Yeah. Yeah. It might be a spam call, <laughs> right? right? But ping, somebody wants me and I better see what that's all about. Maybe it's an important thing. Can't miss it. Mm -hmm. Well, probably about 90% of the pings are not that important. And so do things like I will check my email between eight and nine a.m. in the morning, and then again between four and five, and not, and I'll actually close my email system between those times. Mm. Nobody closes their email system, mm. right? That's ridiculous. Well, what if you did? <laughs> right. Uh, or you know, pick your favorite distraction and close it. Um, I think it's sometimes help, helpful to go on a fast from technology and social media. Yeah. 
delete the apps on your phone, your Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, just actually delete the apps for 30 days and see what, what happens in your life. Uh, you can always put them back, right? Um, or you might say, you know what? I deleted five social media apps. I'm only going to put two back. Um, and again, this is a personal choice for everybody, right? But that's one thing that I have stopped doing is multitasking. When you were doing research, I'm sure for the book, it, it took longer than a day. And so um, what was that process like um, researching for the book and then like editing it down? I'm always interested to hear like um, what ended up making the making the cut of the book and what didn't. So like, how did you how did you make those decisions about is this important enough to put in there? Um, is it not important enough? How did you make those decisions? Um, the book took a year to write. And I devoted mostly weekends, Saturdays and Sundays for a year. And I disciplined myself that every Saturday morning up until about one or two o'clock and every you know Sunday afternoon from whatever, two to five, I would write. Um, occasionally, I'd have to miss something and you get a little bit behind, uh, but it was the discipline of writing, but I had to have a really good outline first. And once I had my outline and I knew what the chapter titles were, and I really knew the topics I wanted to hit, um, the research was 30 years of my life experience, plus regular research of reading books and articles. But um, I think for me, it's kind of like that famous Mark Twain quote. He said, I I sat down to write you a short letter, uh, but I did not have enough time. So I wrote you a long one instead. <laughs> and if you think about that, sometimes it's easier to write fewer words and get them right than to just write, 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 and it's just a bunch of lather. Yeah. So, you know, I did a lot of cutting. I would write and cut, write and cut, write and cut. And the book's not very long and partly because I cut a lot of stuff out that I just thought, you know, it's just unnecessary information. Yeah. Um, speaking of kind of, you mentioned earlier about multitasking. So you've written a book and you're the CEO of a company. Do you mind, do you have any practical tips on time management? I think I'm asking for myself truthfully um, <laughs> of how you were able to kind of pull that off. Well, there's a great story, and I cover this in the book, of Andrew Carnegie, who back in the late 1800s was thought to be the wealthiest man in the world, steel magnet out of uh, Pittsburgh. And he heard about this efficiency expert that was going around the country giving talks on how to become more efficient. So Carnegie says, find that man, bring him in here. He meets him and says, uh, tell me how to be more productive, how to be more efficient. And this gentleman said, well... Um, let me follow you around for a week, um, observe your behavior, see how you spend your days, and then I'll give you my recommendations. Said, okay, fine. So the guy shadows him for a week, comes back, and he says, here's what I recommend. Uh, every night, make a list of all the things you have to do tomorrow. Then order that list from number one priority on down. 
so the first thing on your list is the most important thing you have to do tomorrow. Then when you get into the office tomorrow, start working on number one and do not go to number two until you have finished number one or until you've taken number one as far as you can take it and then you're waiting on somebody else. Then go to number two, take it as far as you can take it and until you're waiting on somebody else, et cetera. And then go back to one and go back to two. And he said, if you finish each day and you've only accomplished one or two things, you will know that they were the most important things you could have been working on. And he said, okay, that's good advice. How much do I owe you? The man said, tell you what, do it for a month and send me a check for what you think it's worth. Mm-hmm. So Carnegie uh, does it for a month, loves it, finds out it made him tremendously more uh, efficient to help him manage his time. He sends the guy a check for $30,000. Now that's a pretty good check today, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but keep in mind, we're talking about the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're looking for time management skills, that's the one advice I would give you. That's great. I, um, I'm curious too, and I may lead you right into the answer, but so we're like Matthew mentioned earlier as an IT recruiting firm, we're based in Nashville and we're passionate about building the tech community in Nashville, helping startups build their tech teams in Nashville and in, specifically in healthcare, mostly because we love the community here. I mean, it's been yeah. phenomenal. Have you had that ex- same experience uh, being a leader of a company? Like, what's that been like for you? I mean, it's, it's, am, am I alone in that? I feel like Nashville community is just so great in collaborating and, and speaking to the team player kind of concept we were talking about earlier. I would never want to live anywhere else than Nashville. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. great. Uh, and I particularly live in Franklin, but, um, you know, you've got the Nashville tech council here and mm-hmm. encourage people to get involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in healthcare, you have the National Healthcare, or I mean the the Nashville Healthcare Council, mm. excellent organization. Um, there are over 350 healthcare companies in Nashville, and a lot of those are very tech related. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is becoming a tech hub. It's almost like the Silicon Valley of Middle Tennessee, and you know, Oracle is setting up shop here and Amazon has a big presence here, but there's a million, not a million, there's a whole bunch of companies that are making decisions to come to this area. There's a rich source source of talent, many colleges and universities here. The lifestyle is great. You've got wonderful places to live. The cost of living is going up, but still not as high as other places. The traffic is getting worse, but not as bad as other places. Sure. The weather is, you know, you want five inches of snow. Okay. We have that last <laughs> week, uh, yeah. but you don't want snow all winter long. Okay. We don't have snow most of the time. Um, so you put it all together, the food, the entertainment, the employee, employment opportunities, the source of talent, mm-hmm. just the, the climate, the friendliness, you put it all together and you know, what a place to be. I agree. Uh, we, uh, my wife and I, and our, our, um, she's four now, but was just born at the time we moved here in 2017, originally from Arkansas and she's in the music industry. So we're just talking to another musician from Nashville in Los Angeles before we moved here in 2017. 
And we were saying, hey, we're actually, we're about to have this, our baby, we want to be close to our family, we want to move to Nashville. And he just said, hey, the water's warm. And I was <laughs> like, it's just held so true. And even as Matthew and I, my brother and I are building our, our startup, our company here in Nashville, oh. it's felt that way. It's felt like, hey, just come on in. It's welcoming. The water's warm. Just come on. Um, so I, I was, it's cool to hear you say that too, because it's, I don't know, we've loved it so far. It's been cool. Well, yeah, and it's kind of interesting. The last thing I, I didn't even mention music. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the music industry, I think most people not from Nashville think of it for music. And it's interesting. Music is clearly a prominent aspect of our of our culture, but there's so many other, you know, business, healthcare, tech, mm-hmm. education aspects of our culture, banking and insurance that that music actually isn't the biggest industry. Right. Right. Yeah. Music city, right. Music's not even the biggest one really. It's so funny. Yeah. Eric, have you seen a shift in what candidates, um, that that you don't talk to candidates, I'm sure, but, um, maybe some of your direct reports do about what candidates are saying now that maybe two years ago, three years ago, you wouldn't have ever, um, thought that candidates would say, is is there anything that they want now that they didn't say they were wanting three years ago? Or have you found any through lines in between what they do want at this point and they did want it five years ago? Could you talk about that? I think it's a total new, new environment for candidates. Um, Candidates are increasingly wanting to work remote. Mm -hmm. Um, They're increasingly wanting to work flex type jobs. Uh, they want to have more autonomy and who needs the office anymore and, you know, live where they want to live and do what they want to do. It is a candidate's market, in my opinion. Uh, it is no longer the employer dominated market. It is the candidate dominated market. And we've heard about the great resignation and the big quit, right? Uh, most employers right now are struggling to find talent and really good talent is saying, here are my terms. Here are my conditions. We closed our office in 2020 due to COVID and went remote uh, with the thought that that would be temporary. We have made a decision as a software company to no longer have an office period. We're not going back. So we are a 100% remote workforce And for me as an employer, I've hired people now in Iowa. I've hired people in Minneapolis. I've hired people in London Mm -hmm. and uh, Florida and Georgia and Arkansas and Tennessee, because now I'm not thinking of commute times to the office. And I'm not thinking about, Mm -hmm. you know, who I can find here locally. I'm thinking about where can I find the best talent? Mm. Has that made your organization better or worse or don't know yet? Or like, how do you feel about that change in dynamic? It probably feels safe to have all the people that live in Nashville come to the Nashville office to get to meet, touch like, um, and then it's probably different um, having the environment of like we do our, intro calls on zoom and you schedule meetings over Microsoft teams to connect versus walking by their office. Like 
talk about how that change in dynamic has changed your team for better or for worse, maybe. I think mostly for better uh, now, rather than spending money on office space mm -hmm. and build out, we can provide richer benefits for employees rather than uh, asking people to travel a lot and having a travel budget that's really big. Uh, people can have um, bigger bonuses and then they can live in a home that maybe is more um, uh, suitable to their, to their personal needs and have a nice home office area. And um, now this is not ideal for everyone. There are some people who, you know, there's too much chaos at home uh, mm -hmm. to spend all day long working at home. So um, there are some downsides, I will admit. And you do kind of miss the face-to-face, -face, although right now, I don't think a lot of people are anxious for a lot of face-to-face -face time. <laughs> Um, but eventually, you know, you really do want to be all together, mm -hmm. but now we can have a conference and fly everyone in for three days or go to some place that's really cool for three days mm -hmm. and take the money we would have spent on an office and do something really fun at a conference for a, like a retreat. Oh yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. What about onboarding has onboarding? Have y'all had some internal conversations about how onboarding has changed with hundred percent remote employees? I mean, that's. It's a little trickier, I would assume, right? Like onboarding someone that lives in Iowa rather than that is actually in Nashville. I don't know if it's any harder. It might be easier because, you know, what is onboarding? You meet with people, you sit in meetings, you mm -hmm. learn things. Mm -hmm. Well, you can do all that stuff online. Sure. And there are really great, you know, software programs and companies out there who specialize in onboarding, you know, sure, and they sure. can you, <laughs> make it a better experience. Um, so I think for us, we haven't missed a beat uh, with respect to onboarding. Um, you know, you don't have the office tour anymore, <laughs> right. but you know, how, how exciting are most offices to see anyway? <laughs> I've not been in a real exciting one, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, I appreciate you. Um, jumping on the podcast with us. Um, how can people connect with you or um, get your book um, after this podcast is released? Well, you can certainly find me, Eric Parmenter, on LinkedIn and, and Twitter. Um, but uh, I also have a website, ericparmenter.com. That's where you can find out information about my book and uh, a blog and how to get in touch with me. Um, so yeah, feel free to reach out if I can be of any assistance, happy to, um, now I don't really want 5,000 people calling me looking for a job right now, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, you can certainly reach out to me, uh, via those platforms. Hey, did you see, uh, I saw somebody post recently, but downtown Franklin, they were shooting a movie or, uh, I think it was a few days ago. Did you happen to see a post about that or anything in downtown Franklin? Uh, I didn't, but my wife was downtown and she said all the roads were blocked off and there was some kind of weird thing going on. Yeah. Movie set. So I don't know yeah. what it was at that. The pictures I saw, they were shooting a Christmas movie. It was a, it was like a dance bit for a Christmas movie, I guess for next year. Right. Like the rumor was, it was like a Hallmark movie. It's like, well, that's kind of cool. Shoot a movie downtown Franklin. That's awesome. All right. Well, yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. It's great to hear your story. So thanks for coming on. Eric. We appreciate you. All right. You bet. Have a great day. You too.